You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe. Welcome to episode 39 of House of Football, our Christmas special. The last show before we hit 2024. So we thought, what better time to reflect on the year that's been for the show and bring in some of our best bits from the year of doing the podcast. We've had some amazing guests across the year. From Damien Delaney to Stephen Hunt, Keith Tracy, Alan Cawley, Ardlo Hanlon and many more. All of those shows are available to listen now on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll kick off our chat with Keith Tracy, who is now a regular contributor to the podcast, but he had a brilliant career with Blackburn, Burnley, and Preston as well. And we got chatting to Keith about it, touching on his initial move across to England and why he holds Sean Deutsch in such high regard. So what was it like when you moved from, from Ireland as a youngster over to England, the challenges you faced? It was very difficult. Um, see, I, I, at 13, I, I was going to sign for Celtic because there's no YTS system. So at 13, I, I was in Parkhead about to sign the, the contract. Yeah, because there's no YTS. There's, no, uh, there's no YTS system. So you turn professional straight away. They were going to move me mother and father over. They were going to give me £300 a week. So for me to go back to uh, me towards you in school and people telling me, Keith, you need to listen to the maths teacher, you need to listen. <laughs> it was yeah. absolutely a way with the fairies. But when I, when I eventually... As any young man will be. Yeah, yeah, well, I suppose, yeah. So when, when I actually left and went to Blackburn, Blackburn, for anybody who doesn't know, the training ground, it's like Emmerdale Farm. And the, <laughs> the words my mother used to me was, you need to sign for Blackburn because you won't get in trouble here. Okay. And I, I ended up proving her wrong in the end. But <laughs> it was That was basically, I loved it there. I signed there because Duffer was there. There was a couple of Irish in the reserves as well. And I just got a, a homely feel off the place. And they did. The, the secretaries looked after me when I bought me house. They came and put me curtains in me house. They made me bed no for me. They were only short of wiping my arse from me half the time, to be honest with you. But I, I developed very little social skills, but... Yeah, it was difficult. I, I cried myself to sleep for the first probably six months while I was over it's there. Homesickness. So, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, we had communal toilets, so I'd get out of bed at midnight, just go and have a cry for a couple of hours, and then go back into bed. And people always said to me, "But well, how come you didn't come home?" I was like, "Because I didn't want to come home." Right. I, I wanted to be a footballer. I was sad. I was missing home, but I was never going to leave. You know, yeah. it was one of them. I had that bit between my teeth, but yeah, difficult, very, very difficult time. So even back then, was there player welfare officers or anything like that at Blackburn? Was there any managers or coaches that took you under their wing and said, look, we look after you, fatherly figures or anything like that? Uh, there was one or two coaches that tried at the time. Gary Bowyer was my uh, academy manager at the time. Um, Graham Souness was the first team manager, but he, he pretty much went to Newcastle about a month after okay. I'd signed. Damien Duff went to Chelsea. So even the winger, the, we had a, like a, a coach who used to do... Uh, a lot of one-on-one winger stuff. He left after about two weeks when I signed as well. So the arse sort of fell out of the club, the reasons I signed. But all in all, it, it was really good experience. But like I said, difficult, really difficult yeah. at times. You wouldn't want to be paranoid, would you? Signing for a club and within three months <laughs> yeah. of signing, everyone's leaving. Those, yeah. <laughs> was, it, was it a case in terms of the, like fear of failure even? Like when or those six months of coming home or maybe there wasn't much stuff at home for you? Is that, would that have been a... Yeah, well, there was a little bit of a fear of failure, but in, in terms of like the, the father figure or, or somebody trying to help me, I think they generally look at your football and if your football's okay, they leave you alone. And although I was maybe depressed and got into this rut of, you know, crying and just burying me emotions and just getting on with things, I think people were thinking, oh, well, keep training with the reserves or he's training with the force team, he's playing for Ireland, so we don't need to worry about him, yeah, he's okay type yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, although the, the footballer was going from strength to strength, the human being was being left behind, I was fairly depressed, struggling to sleep, but I'd torn up and my talent would mask an awful lot of the problems that I'd had the night before. So, yeah, maybe I, I wasn't strong enough to actually pull somebody and tell people how I was feeling, but again, at 15, 16, you feel like you're in competition with people, you don't want to be knocking on the manager's door and saying, gaffer, by the way, I'm a little bit weak mentally, right. you know, so you, you feel like you're in between a rock and a hard place and 
I just got my head down and just ploughed on with it. Really. It's incredible as well, because despite all of that, you, you, you broke into that first team mm. squad. Like, and what, what was that like? What was that moment like? I was great. I remember uh, the first away game. It was uh, Paul Ince, my, my first Premier League game. Paul Ince was actually the manager, and we had signed Keith Andrews from, uh, I think it was MK Dons. Keith came from. And the two of us are sitting on the bench in Goodison Park, and we're losing one nil, seventy fifth minute, and Paul in stones around. He's like, Keith, warm up, you're coming on. And the two's looking at each other. Oh, I just looked Paul in straight in the eye and thought, well, he's talking about Keith Andrews, like, and he went, no, it's you. So I, I went and warmed up, and yeah, I, I tell I, us what's going through your head, Keith, as you're warming up at Goodison. Don't do anything wrong. Don't do anything <laughs> wrong. Don't like we were already losing. The gaffer was telling me, listen, just try and get us a goal, try and change the game for me. But I was coming on thinking, just that, just. Be okay. Don't make, don't, don't make a show yourself. Yeah, don't yeah. give the ball away. And I remember the. I think it was Andre Uy or the right back switched the ball, and I'm playing left wing. And Phil Neville comes and presses me, but I let the ball just travel to our left back. Our left back crosses, and we score a goal. It's one all, and they all run. Ah, oh, Keith, brilliant! So like, we just got smashed in the build up, but <laughs> it was just a little thing of thinking. Oh, really, maybe I'm okay yeah, here yeah, now. Yeah. You know, it's but yeah, uh, Goodison away, the crowd on top of you, losing one nil going on. It was deep water, but. You know, had it, had you been told a couple of days before, it, you get time for it to build in your head. But you know, two minutes you're coming on, so and get ready. Yeah, no time to think. I yeah. think it's better just been thrown in the deep end like that, and it's either sink or swim, isn't it? And was it Ince left shortly after that, or was it <laughs> Ince? We were on that. We went to we went preseason in Austria, and every single night we'd, we'd have a flip chart at dinner, and it'd be like, "This is what we're doing tonight, lads," and we were out. We were there for two weeks. We were out nearly every single night. Somebody put on the flip chart, please can we stay in, Gaffer? <laughs> it was that, it was just a joke. Like, but Paul Ince came in. He said, lads, I don't mind just having a drink of like a bit of wine because he, he played on the continent with Inter and that. So he was, you yeah. know, he liked his wine with dinner. But he just, uh, it just he said, uh, by Christmas, we'll be peaking and that's when we'll get out of this relegation fight. So by Christmas, he lost his job, you know what I mean? Right, so right, he right. just didn't time it very well. We, we played Wigan. I remember we played Wigan away, got B5-3, and we're all sitting in the in the DW Stadium, hands on our heads, and we're thinking, we need to get to Manchester Airport. Like, the flight's in an hour. And Paul Ince is ranting and raving, giving out, and he's gone, I've ran yous, I've find yous, I've bollocked yous, I've done everything. Go and get pissed and see if that does not for us. And by the time we'd landed in Dublin, he'd be sacked. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Connor, you were the... You, you, I was, Obviously, doing um, backup checks on you on both years. Backup checks, that sounds. You know, I'm looking at your careers. <laughs> are they, are they okay him? for the podcast? Have <laughs> 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 they any crimes or misdemeanors? Uh, Conan, um, you, um, you turned down a, a trip to Zambia to go on Troy with Millwall, was it? Yeah, geez, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so back in secondary school, I was. Um, Selected to go on a trip to Zambia. And sorry, your schoolboy club was a River Valley, was it? In Swords? It was Swords Rovers. Swords Rovers, yeah. okay, right. <laughs> Belvedere, Stella, Home Farm, Sword 2. He was the real school now. <laughs> Swords Rovers. <laughs> but uh, no, I was just in, in secondary school in Arts and every couple of years they went to Zambia. And um, at that time I was over and back in Toronto, Millwall. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a footballer, even though I was playing for Swords Rovers. But um, it was a case then where a decision had to be made. And. Um, I said, right, I'll, I'll, my dream is to be a footballer, so I'll go to trial in Millwall. But if the opportunity ever arose that it, to do to go to Zambia, I'd go. Yeah. So that was the decision I made with myself. So ultimately, it came out about five years later. I was, uh, I went to the exact same place that my secondary school went, to and um, struck up a great relationship with the presentation sisters over there. And like, how did the like, w- 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 how does your time at Millwall go? How did the trials go? How did how did it work out for you? 
Um, not bad, like, because the likes of Mark Quigley was over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, he was on the first he team. Play, he was. was class. Yeah. Um, so good. But yeah, I did okay. Like, I remember going to the Tottenham training ground and scoring in a 1 0 win on my first, first, uh, first game. Like, first game, yeah. It was, like, it was only a, uh, it wasn't a, a competitive game, it was friendly. Doesn't matter. But even scoring against Spurs, yeah. And, as I said, I never played the likes of Belvedere or Home Farm or Stella, so my first experience of this type of football was playing Spurs. Wow. Scoring, win, uh, scoring the winner. Um, and then, as I said, over and back, played a couple of games then against Norwich and, um, you know, I can't remember now, Preston maybe. Um, and that, that they were great experiences. I was asked to, to sign a contract with me in the fifth year. It was a one-year YTS and two-year professional. Um, but I knew myself I wasn't good enough to go without an education without okay. me leaving cert um, right. and that's people might say oh like that sounds a bit strange why Why would you think that but it's a very mature th- way yeah, to, to look yeah. at things awareness there, yeah. yeah well like, I think I would have been um, growing up I never had I never as I said I always even playing League of Ireland I always felt as if I had to compete against everybody because of where I came from right. in the sense of the club I played for because I never Played for those bigger clubs, never got international recognition. So I always felt as if I had to punch above my weight to to do well. Was that at the start of your <laughs> League of Ireland career? No, right, the, right, 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 right through, yeah. Right through, like, you're was, a man who's like, has a goal record of like one every two games or something like that. Yeah, Ridiculous but I, record. I just felt I always had to prove myself to others. And maybe it was good to And even to myself, yeah, 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 because it pushed me on. Yeah. Pushed me on, definitely. But like I said, no, I said, I said to them, look, if you wait till my leaving cert finishes, and they said no, and I said, okay, well then. Um, wow, it's, that, that takes ball as well. Yeah. <laughs> well done, then I gave it up. I gave football up for a year. Just didn't fancy it at all. And then, um, oh, so was it, were you disappointed by that reaction no, from Millwall? No, 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 it was just a case of kind of the love went okay, for it. Like right. the dream was over. Maybe. Yeah. Um, went to went to UCD and I was eating my dinner one night and my dad, my father put just dropped the dropped the scholarship form for UCD over my head and said, "Just you're in UCD." Why don't you go for the scholarship and and, and go for it? I wasn't even thinking of League of Ireland football. Yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. thinking of the scholarship. Yeah. Um. And six months later, I was playing the League Cup final. So, <laughs> mad. Like, madness. How, well, that escalated how, very quickly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, it's mad, it's mad how it works. You said your fellow love of football there, um, uh, Conan. Did, did that ever happen to you at all, Keith? Did you ever fall out of love with the game? Yeah, it was difficult. I, I fell out of love a couple of times. I remember being being here with my wife and collecting the kids from creche and I rang Sean Dyche and said, that's it, I'm done. And his... I thought he'd maybe you know my my ego. I thought he'd beg for me to come back, or you know, he basically just said, "Son, if that's what you need, that's what you need. No problem." Okay. And he, he said, "Listen, if you want to come back, the doors open, but you come back once. You don't come back twice and three times." So he basically said, "If that's what you need, then no problem on the human side, but we'd love to have you." And didn't basically pressure me into anything. So yeah. he made me want to do make it the decision yourself. Him as telling well. me, I'm, right. "You're doing it." Right. So just little man management things like that. But yeah, it happened. You know. Probably once a month. Again, me. looking back at your career, Keith, and various news articles and all that, and I read somewhere where you had a you, you, you mentioned Deutsch and and, and you, you have a hell of a lot of respect for the man. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit? Like, like you just explained one thing he did there, which is a really noble thing for him to do. But what was he like day to day, and when you were suffering, and and how did he motivate you? How did he put the arm around you? And with Deutsch, the the first time, his first day, he uh, I was after being out the night before because he got he got he got the job at the drop of a hat basically Wednesday night I was playing for the reserves because Eddie Howard put me into the reserves. Deutsch gets the job Wednesday. We're training on Thursday. I get a phone call. You're training Thursday morning with the force team. You're back in the force team. So I'm in Blackpool when I get this phone call. So I, I continue my night as as any good professional would. <laughs> and I train the next day and he puts his arm around me and he basically said, "Listen, son, I can smell the drink off you." And I started to pull excuses out of yeah, everywhere. Yeah. And he said, nah, listen, it's no problem. 
this is your one and only chance there's a six week fine waiting on you as well because I went to my uncle's wedding under Eddie Howe and came back and I failed a breathalyzer so he tried to do me six weeks wages Sean Dye squashed that he put his arm around me brought me on a jog that day and said listen son if you're fit you're one of the first names on my team sheet wow. so you need to get fit and most managers then had said had said something similar to me like that so they'd say go and tr- play for the reserves tonight and when you're fit you'll be back into my team but he did it with me he put in the hard yards with me and even when we're running around Burnley City Centre just cars beeping at him taking the mick out of him and we're just chatting. He's like, "How's your dad getting on?" Because my dad had prostate cancer. So when the you're time. saying you're running around Burnley uh, City Centre, you're running with Sean Dyche. Yeah, yeah. Like we, on a jog. Yeah, we would leave the training ground and we say, "Come on, we just run around Burnley." And people would be beeping at us, roaring at us, and no it way. was like a father and a son just running through Burnley, and he'd be asking about my family, how we feel, and it was so far removed from football, it was unbelievable, and it was just somebody who tried to scratch the surface and think. How's Keith? How's Keith getting on? And I remember him saying to me, Keith, I don't care if you play for Burnley. I don't care how many appearances you make. I care about you as a human being. Wow. And for a manager to say that in the height of... Like, we, we were going for promotion that year. And the pressure he was under the as well. The pressure he yeah. was under. What the board must have been saying to him. Because I had come from Preston to Burnley. I, I, I was heavy. They wanted their return. They paid a million pounds for me. But for him to just take that away and say, I just want you as a person to be right... It's just obviously if the person's right, the footballer will come. But yeah. everybody's more worried about the football, uh, the footballer, the footballer. So for him to take a different angle on it and try and get me fit and speak to me about things, and he w- he very rarely played me. I think in the the season we got promoted, I played thirty eight games, but I, I started about fifteen. Right, and th- like notoriously, it was like QPR at home, the big teams at home, and I was thinking he really trusted me in a defensive manner, which nobody else really did, and. He's just the sort of bloke you run through brick walls for. When he kept everything up, the first thing I did was text him and say congratulations because he's the like footballers at that level are ships in the night. There's not like I did a 13, 13 year career over there in England, and I keep in touch with only Sean Dyche. That's wow. it. And it, that's just no friends like. And you, you, you see Sean Dyche and you see him as this kind of, you know, for want of a better word, alpha male. Yeah. Mm. You know, tough as you know, tough as tough as old boots, and a man's man. And uh, maybe, um, obviously, after what you've just said there, Keith, uh, we, I, and I'm sure lots of other people have got him completely wrong. Um, so when he took over as the manager of Everton, did you immediately go, if anyone can save Everton, it's Sean Dyche? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, a lot, a lot of Everton fans came to me and said, "Oh, Keith, like, what do you think? Is he going to take us down? If he takes us down, he's the right man to bring us back up." And I said, "100, percent he won't go down. Wow, I will not go down with him." And even now, people are saying to me, "What's Deli Ali going to be like?" Because we all, all the stuff has come out about yeah. him. There's no better guy than Sean Dyche to try and sort him out. And I, when the Deli Ali interview came out, I text Dyche and I said, "Listen, maybe there's one or two similarities there between me and Deli. If you want to pass on my number, we can have a chat." And his text back was that Delhi's in a really good place at the minute and long may I continue. And really? Just little things like that. It's like very rarely do me and Sean actually talk about football now. So it's just family stuff and like the Delhi thing was probably uh, you know, quite close to football, but it was on a on a human level that I wanted to make contact. So look, there's no better guy than Sean Dyche. And I remember Dyche at the end of last season, Delhi Ali had a like a small injury and somebody said, Oh, will he be available for next week? He said, He's injured at the minute, but this is going to take. This is a long road back for Delhi, right. and I think Deutsch knew. He, he obviously relayed to him what has happened, but yeah, no better guy than Sean Deutsch. And he, he is an alpha male. He is all them yeah. things, but he has a soft touch. He has kids as well. He's, yeah. he's a father. He knows how. He has that light touch, but he has that fear factor as well that you didn't want to didn't want to let him down or disappoint him. You mentioned Eddie Howe there as well. He was a coach. Um, are you surprised? Uh, or did you see? Something with Eddie Howe and go, this fella's going to be a top manager one of these days. 
I'd, oh. be, I'd be lying if I said I did, Eric, yeah, to be okay. honest with you, just because at Burnley, he, he had done really well at Bournemouth, then he got the Burnley job. I think Eddie Howe was probably about, he was early 30s, maybe yeah. 32, Very young, 33. Wasn't he, yeah. And there was all the players in the squad than him, like the likes of Dean Marnie, Michael Duff. And it, this sounds like nothing, but in the world of footballers, footballers live in a completely different world. He was coming in, he's saying, Dino, son, I need you to pass this, Duffer, son. And they're looking going, I'm older I'm than you. Older than you. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he, he just he was just a little bit young. There were some egos in the dressing room that he couldn't quite get a hold of. And, look, I, I was a bit of a nightmare to try and manage as well. I, I, I give him that one. But, yeah, there was just, you know, playing out from the back at Torfmore. Moor. I know Vince and company's done it really, really well now. But at the time, I mean, we're drawing a nil out the oval and they're screaming at me, get the ball forward. Not quite as nice as that, but something along <laughs> those lines. And it, it, just, it just didn't link up quite well, but... You could tell he was a forward-thinking manager. He wanted to play out from the back. He would pl- demand that you play under pressure. But did I think he'd go and do as well as he did at Newcastle? Probably not. But he, you could tell he had it in the locker, but he didn't think it'd go this well. That was Keith Tracy from earlier this year. The next bit of audio isn't from a former footballer, but he might be the most famous Ireland fan around. Yes, Ardlow Hanlon, who wore an Ireland jersey for a large part of his time playing Father Dougal and Father Ted, joined me in studio, as well as being a fantastic comedian. He's also a huge football fan, and back in the day he did a show called Leagues Apart, where he travelled around the world visiting the biggest football teams and speaking to stars like Rivaldo. That's where we'll hop into this chat, and of course we touch on his beloved Leeds as well. Like, the whole thing was a labour of love, and again, it was a childhood ambition. So, like, you know, when when... Billy McGrath came to me and said, have you got any ideas for, for a show? And, and I went, well, this this is the show I've wanted to make since I was a child. Uh, I wanted to, to you know, because I love travel uh, and I love football and I love culture. And I always thought like that, you know, saying I love culture is such a stupid thing. But I love like, you know, all, all you know, all the things that make up a culture, you know. So, you, you, so and I always think football is a great window in, into the soul of a nation. Yeah. And it's just a great... It's a great door opener, you know, conversations about football, especially for men. Yeah. Uh, And so while, yes, so this show is about football, it's about football rivalries, but it's also about like, you know, the, I suppose, the fault lines in a society. Like what what makes you pick one team or the other, you know, when you go to a place. Uh, So you learn a lot about the history of the country, um, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, just what makes a country tick. And, uh, so we went to, so the big ones were obviously Real Madrid, Barcelona, which is not a strictly a city rivalry, but it's, you know, there's a there's a big political story yeah. there. Um, we went to Rome, uh, Lazio Roma, which was great. We went to Holland, which again was a city, you know, it was, it was fine order of Rotterdam and Ajax of Amsterdam, which again tells you an awful lot about that country, you know, the cosmopolitan Amsterdam and the kind of more, you know, salt of the earth yeah. port city of, of, of Rotterdam uh, and then where did we go we went then we did a few more of the obscure ones in, in, in Athens there's a fantastic one Panathinaikos and Olympiakos and then we did Istanbul which was always one I wanted to go wow, to Galatasaray yeah. and Fenerbahce uh, and then we did one a little a, a very kind of obscure one uh, in Krakow in Poland Uh Wisła Viz- and I can never really pronounce yeah. it Wisła, Krakow and Krakowia Okay So that so, was the, the Krakow derby The Krakow derby Yeah So that was amazing um, So they were all they were all absolutely amazing for different reasons 
I think that's where Pope John Paul II was born. Yeah, it was. And he was associated with the Cracovia club in oh, some way. Whether he was on their books as a kid or not, as a goalie, I do not he know. He was a goalkeeper, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a goalkeeper. And he was supposed to be quite good. He was a good sportsman. He was a skier as well, I think. But uh, not a good Pope, though. <laughs> <laughs> so many saves and crosses, puns I could stick in there, but, uh, but we won't go there. Um, so, uh, but is, is there is, which one of those Ireland? Uh, you mind me asking? Was 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 your? The I one suppose that really the Barcelona kind of, one was okay. because that's the one I was so I suppose uh, invested in emotionally and personally because of the Cruyff thing and all that and Cruyff thing, everything, uh, everything about it was amazing. It was also like a brilliant Barcelona team playing a brilliant Madrid team, so it was a really good game to go to, apart from anything else. Um, was it the year of the Galacticos? Maybe it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Uh, um, Ronaldinho, Deco, uh, Etu. Ah, oh, yeah. What I remember team. Etu. I remember we were at the training ground like just a few days before it, and Etu was in his Hummer going in a, along. In a Hummer? In a Hummer. So he drove into the, tra- into the training in a Hummer. He could have brought the uh, whole team with him. He could have, yeah. <laughs> but he couldn't. Like, what was really funny was like this really cool player in this really cool car. But because it's a Hummer, he couldn't actually turn into the, <laughs> into the car underground park car park. So it was like about a seven point turn. So it's really <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> I love that. Um, is there any, did you get to meet any of the, any big stars during that series? Um, well, in the Olympiacos one, so that's, I met, uh, I met what you call him, Rivaldo. So he Rivaldo. was playing for Olympiacos. So this is four years after his magnificent triumph at the 2002 World Cup, where he was probably player of the tournament. Yeah, easily. And, uh, so and and there's a little sort of a little bit of a a, a a preamble to this. So in 2002, I went away to see Ireland play Lisbon uh, to play Portugal in Lisbon. Yeah, sorry, I'm jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was an amazing occasion for so many different reasons. But the first reason was I arrived. Uh, so I flew from London to Lisbon. I arrive at the airport and I join a queue, uh, the taxi queue. And standing right beside me is Rivaldo. That's no word of a lie. Okay. Just, and and so, then you, like, you realise this and you're like, oh my God. Oh, immediately. Like, I mean, he's yeah. unmistakable. Yeah, I mean, he was, he's one of the most iconic people in the world, never mind yeah. footballers. So he's standing there. He's, he's holding a baby in his arms. I presume it's his own baby. <laughs> uh, his baby girl uh, drops her blanket on the ground. I pick it up. I pick up Rivaldo's daughter's blanket. <laughs> what a man. And I say, hey, there you go, Rivaldo. <laughs> She dropped that and he kind of smiles at me and whatever else. And I'm going, yeah, me and Rivaldo, we're mates for life now. So I'm so thrilled. I mean, this, this, is, this exceeds your wildest dreams. Like, first of all, I'm, a, I'm going to Lisbon to see Ireland play. I'm going to meet my friends who are coming from Dublin. It's going to be a brilliant weekend. It was already shaping up to be the best weekend ever because <laughs> I met Rivaldo. So then four years later, I'm doing this. Uh, so we spend this great week in Athens finding out all about Greek history, like the whole history of Olympiakos is amazing. Like, like, so Olympiakos is a port, is a port city in Athens. Uh, sorry. Uh, um, Greece. In, in Greece. <laughs> it's okay, Ireland. Jet lagged. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Piraeus is the, is the, is the kind of the little suburb of Athens where, yeah. where Olympiakos are based. And the reason why Olympiakos came into being in the 20s was after World War One, uh, the Ottoman Empire collapses there's a huge Greek minority who've been living for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, in Turkey. They're all expelled from Turkey, haven't known nowhere else, haven't lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they all move to this port city of, of Piraeus. And they form social clubs and sports clubs, basketball and everything else, and a, and a football club, Olympiakos. So that, that's the history. That's the origins of Olympiakos. incredible. Yeah, so yeah. it's... it's a, 
it's the Greek it's the Greek diaspora coming home to Greece in the early right. 20s. So okay. like it's an, it's just, I knew nothing about this. Yeah. So you're learning all this as you're going along. And we always didn't want to speak to footballers. We always wanted to speak to writers and musicians and, you know, get, yeah. you know, and comedians. I would always go and speak to the local comedian okay. wherever, wherever we were as well. Because uh, they often have a very good take on things, you know. Um, but anyway, so we're in the training ground in Olympiacos and I see Rivaldo jogging around the pitch on his own. So I run over to him with the camera and everything and I go, hey, Rivaldo, remember me? I, I, I gave you uh, your daughter's blanket back to you. And he's just looking at me going, you know, get him away, get him away from Who's me. Who's this madman? <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Imagine, imagine you actually did. Rem- I do remember, do. Yeah. I'll never forget yeah. you. I've always yeah. wanted to meet you again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you properly. In fact, I owe you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for that actually, gesture. Actually, we're going to give you the number 15 jersey. You're on the bench tonight. <laughs> um, before we let you go, Wardle, uh, Leeds at the moment yes. under, uh, uh, what's his name? Fark. Da- Daniel Fark. Uh, are you are you hankering for the Bielsa days? Well, I mean, I I love the Bielsa days. I mean, it was just it was like something I'd never seen before. It just was it, it was pure entertainment, wasn't it? Pure entertainment, just just chaos, yeah. and it was just it was pure joy uh, seeing them come in and light up light up the Premiership yeah, that first really season. Did. They really did. Mm. It was just fantasy football. It was just wonderful to watch. Um, but you know, I think. Every Leeds fan, to a man or woman, by the end of that second season, they knew the writing was on the wall. They just knew. Like, everyone loves Bielsa, loves him dearly, but knew that it wasn't sustainable. Like, it just wasn't. The results were He wasn't shocking. a man for changing. Yeah, He wasn't going to bend. He wasn't going to change his ways. He had, he had, like, basically, he had flogged those poor players to death. You know, they had given him everything and there yeah. was nothing left in the tank. There was nothing there. <laughs> Other teams had found them out and... You know, a bit like Ireland, they were players playing way above their, you know, yeah, what their you, what, individual level. What yeah. Amateurs like us would consider it to be their level. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so, and they were given everything, and they were they were like incredible. So you couldn't fault them in any way, uh, but it wasn't sustainable. And then you know, then there was just some incredibly poor decisions made in in terms of the people they brought in, the players they brought in, the management managers they brought in. Sam Allardyce, yeah. like seriously, how did you feel? Uh, <laughs> just, I mean, you know, just, just wanted to give up at that point, <laughs> and and Jesse Marsh as well. Like you're just thinking, this is not the answer. And then him buying loads more American players, more Americans. Yeah, that is yeah. not the solution, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I mean, and this season has started has been very strange because like it started off terribly, yeah, and with discontent in the camp, and terrible results going against us and then suddenly a string of really good results and now back to square one again yeah the, this the defeat against Southampton there yeah yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, it's I, I, do you think they got promoted no 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 I don't think they will um, I think like they just about have a squad that's capable of getting promoted if everyone stays fit and if it gels but it, it's not gelling yet it's not quite there yet yeah, um, I suppose Leicester are the team that looked like the dominant team in that championship. Yeah, I think they kept yeah. most of the squad from last season as well, so they look like to be the, the yeah. team to beat. I, to be honest with you, I haven't seen much of it, like because I was away for the last few weeks, and um, uh, so I'm I'm not totally up to up to speed with who else is doing yeah. what in the, in the championship. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, the, so Bielsa now, Bielsa now manager of Uruguay. What a concoction that is, Ardell. Yeah. When you think about his attacking philosophy and what they're renowned for, 
which yeah. is defensive kicking lumps out of yeah. players <laughs> and then attacking with all the flair and speed in the world they will be box office I can't wait yeah, to see yeah, Uruguay at the next big World Cup or the South American Championship um, OK so uh, like all good podcasts we have come to an end Ardell it's been an absolute pleasure talking no, to you really and thank you so much for, for coming in and I know you've been jet lagged and and, uh, and listen the best of luck with all your endeavours and uh, I can't wait to see you on stage very very soon thanks a million Eric absolute pleasure cheers Ardell Love that chat with Ardell. You can get the full thing wherever you get your podcasts. Now, turning back to modern day football. If there's one thing that encapsulates modern football, it's the transfer market. People are obsessed with transfers. And one of the people that's involved heavily in making some of them happen is former Ireland player Stephen Hunt, who is now a football agent. Hunty has held plenty of transfers over the line for Irish players and we spoke to him around the end of last season's Premier League when rumours were starting to fly around and we got to know a little bit more about how things actually work in professional football. Yeah, I think you have initial bursts when the season finishes of people trying to get their business done early, uh, offers come in and tries to tempt players into taking the offers and then you have a bit of a mid-season, kind of our mid-end of season mid-term break where families, the, the scouts all, they all seem to go away at the same time. Right. So they all have peace of mind, the recruitment yeah. teams, right, we're all, I'm, I'm off next week or whatever. So you get the feeling that actually the week I was in rally, it's going to be a quiet week so you're not really under too much pressure. It's, there's still you're not coming off the on. pitch saying anything, you yeah. make a phone call. <laughs> but as soon as the Monday after that, or the che- Monday afternoon, Tuesday, your phone is, is lighting up. But that's good because you want to try and negotiate a few good deals. But it is a good time, it's only going to get busier from now on for mm-hmm. sure. Okay, and um, I suppose like the 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 like people are, people always wonder like how how agents work and like so so you, when you get a, can we just go through the process again, Stephen? Because it is fascinating to a lot of our, our, our listeners and viewers. You are an agent for footballers, um, so you're getting calls from is it clubs or intermediaries? What like we keep hearing this word intermediaries being mentioned? Well, it's more like say get your perspective on a seat, Stephen. Yeah. Like, let's say you're you're Harry Kane's agent. You're not his brother. You're his agent. He has a yeah. proper agent now. Yeah. What are you advising him? What are you proper saying to him? Agent, yeah. You're like it's like because there's this thing like is he going to move for a trophy? Is it money? What what's the what should be his priority this summer? I said, listen, you put me in Harry Kane's situation now. It's a you know it's going to go to the wire because it's Daniel Levy. Yeah. So you 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 just bide your time. If there's a gentleman's agreement there, it's different. But it sounds like there was last year a gentleman's agreement made. So with Harry Kane having the service he's had for Spurs I think it's just about being patient uh, from an agent's point of view why would you be you wouldn't be ringing too many people because you've got Harry Kane in your book so you yeah. let them do the work let let Man United come to him uh, whoever Real Madrid listen there's gaps appearing as you go along Mbappe then obviously yeah. has said he's not going to sign an extension so he's so there's a bit of a chain so you put the chain together you try and play a bit of poker and and you are when you have Carrie Kane as your client, you're not at any risk. Right. To so, certain you, degree. would you be advising him? Listen, stick around for a year, move as a free agent. No, I think or whatever. Uh, when a cl- money's not an object for Harry Kane, so the the emotional attachment you have to Harry Kane is football. What he wants to achieve, does he want him in medals? Is he going to blame you if you don't win medals? So, do you want to move Harry based on you want to win the Premier League, you want to win Champions League? You find out all that first, and then you take it from there. It's not. It's easy for me to say, oh, this, this, and this." But until you find out and know the player what they want and what they really want, because in twenty years' time you want no regrets, yeah, and no football regrets. Uh, put put it to you, Robbie. Uh, throw the argument that you know, you know, Manchester United fans are getting very excited. Um, personally, I don't think the deal will ever happen. But um, you're thinking Manchester United fans, rightly or wrongly, are thinking if Hayne comes into our team, adds another thirty goals to that team, 
We're going to be challenging City, but yeah. probably that's a bit of a leap, is it? It's a tough one, like because as a Man United fan, obviously I'd love Kane to come. He's, he's an amazing player. I still don't even think people realise how good he is. Level, I think he's going to go down as the best, probably one of the best English players ever, mm-hmm. best yes. Premier League players ever. But I mean, look, yeah, I'd love Man United, but I don't know if Kane alone would be enough to bridge the gap. So when I, when I went to Chelsea match live recently at United, I went, oh, what a gap! Yeah, it's there from there's runners on either side of him almost son type runs he can drop into a fake number 10 or go play as a number 9 he can do both for Man United mm-hmm. and if there's a case of United want instant success and most managers do want instant success now because they won't be in a job if they don't they don't win stuff in next year then he'll be under pressure 10 hacks so they have to progress at a big club Harry Kane is a, is a perfect number 9.5-10 for for Man United no he's, question he's outrageous he is perfect but my worry for him if I was him I'd be thinking like I was looking there on average, so over the last ten years, City have averaged like ninety-five points a season. Man United have averaged eighty points a season. Wow! So like, can he bridge that fifteen-point gap? He is amazing, but still a lot. Like, and is he, is a worth like not soiling his legacy with Spurs because he'll always be a club legend there. But is it worth pushing that hard for something when he's probably win the League Cup? Because the only two trophies he should be leaving for are the Premier League or the Champions League, and it was me. And if it was me, easy to say, but it'd be like, I just, Real Madrid is just what an option that would be. Mm-hmm. So that'd be an option. He might not get the Premier League record, but who cares about that? Like, it's a chance to play for Real There's Madrid. something romantic about bringing United back to his glory days because you are getting to that stage yeah. now where you're not in that bracket anymore. You have to win a Premier League, Champions League. I think he'll find appealing. I yeah. think he'd look at it and go, this could be good for me. Well, the talk is that he, like, the top, if you to believe the rumours out there is that you know the only other club he'd consider at the moment is Manchester United I don't know why or you know like it, it seems bizarre but um, you mentioned like there is that 15 point average gap I'm looking at United this season and the stupid points they dropped in games you know and I'm going if Kane was there would that have happened maybe would I would say with Kane the team on average he'd probably gain another 10 points per season possibly like thrown the, out there the, the, which doesn't leave an so awful I, I, yeah, I'll come in in there. It's not just Harry. What Harry Kane brings is what he brings to the rest of them. The belief yeah, that yeah. Rashford has, Sancho have. If I pull it back here, it's a yeah. goal. If I go one two, he can he can see me coming in. He'll see all the sun goals that he set up for Sun over the years. It brings the whole team. Eriksson brings in Hernandez. Loads of different options where mm. they know they can play on the back of it and they're getting better quality. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Sorry about like Sancho was brilliant at Dortmund. Because he's Ireland Haaland finishing yeah. chances for him. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. different from a veg, veg, about veg horses, the one taking the chances. So he's been linked with a few places. Right? Yeah. I think he's been a bit unlucky at United. I know. Listen, he's at Man United. He's, he's been looking to start stop with. Gap. <laughs> he's always a stopgap for him, and that was so popular. But I actually think he could do a good job for someone in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, he's still a Burnley, isn't he? He's still a Burnley player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do a good job for Burnley. But the other thing with Kane that would be questioned, like it's he's going to be thirty in the summer, so it's a bit like the Van Persie move for United. Yeah, you you might get a year or two out of him. I would I would hazard a guess and say with, with Kane I know he has the odd ankle injury and whatever but he seems such a apparently fit player doesn't, yeah. he doesn't get that many knocks I don't think yeah, and I think there's at least a good four or five years in him there is I think like just playing devil's advocate as well just so you know a lot of you know, his better players are at the the higher end like so you have Casemiro 31 you have Bruno 28, 29 Varane over 30 so Ericsson, it's an old yeah. squad so it's like you ever seen like the NBA like clubs because they can draft players like a lot of them will like, oh, we better win now. So they'll go all out and sign big stars who might only have a year or two. So okay. if you are going to get Kane, it can't just be Kane. It has to be a top goalkeeper yeah. as well. That's, where, yeah, that's where the recruitment team United is. Yeah. Buy Kane, it gives them 18 months to two years to identify the next one. Yeah. And that's where Liverpool and the, the teams gone before them have been so good at it. They've identified early 
and gone early with the players. Brighton have done the same with their players. Yeah. They've identified like Man United could have signed Casido for four million three years ago, and they I know. messed about. Like I knew mm. I was. Um, he's still being linked though apparently United are still looking at him I'd love to get Casado anyway it's not a Man United podcast uh, <laughs> Sorry, <man. laughs> I'd love to chat about Man United all day so moving on to Bowes no joking um, so just, <laughs> there's a lot of players I suppose out for, up for grabs uh, Robbie yeah. uh, during the summer you want to give us one or two names well, there Matt Doherty's big one from an Irish perspective like Matt he's a free agent now isn't he yeah he didn't play much at let the goal which is no shame 12 like, minutes or 12 something. minutes but still he probably wasn't going to play a lot at Tottenham so he got to go play for a big club mm-hmm. great experience for him under he's a proven Simeone. Premier League player. He's um, been a, he was a great wing back. He was brilliant in like the eighteen nineteen season, nineteen twenty. That's what he got his move to Tottenham. Like yeah. so, he's a very kind of specialist player. I think he did a good job. And we were chatting earlier on maybe um, maybe Arsenal, his boyhood club. <laughs> is it, what's his boyhood club? Is yeah, it? he's part Arsenal. Oh wow! Yeah, I say the sports fans didn't hear about that. And <laughs> you know, you played with him. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, I think. From an early on, even going to Spurs, it come out that he was an Arsenal oh, fan. Oh, really? So did yeah. Okay. It wouldn't have helped, but it, yeah. knowing Matt the way I do, it wouldn't really have affected him either. So he's really laid back, is he? Laid back, not pretty chilled. I think he'll be looking at his situation where he'll probably know he's in the shop window against Greece a little bit. Uh, he'll have offers for sure from Premier League clubs. It's just a case of biding his time and mm. and seeing which one fits him best because he is seeing that as that specialist wing back yeah. type role. There is teams that play wing backs. So you will become appealing. But even say the likes of Arsenal play with a high fullback anyway, even Ben White, and they can come into midfield. So Matt can do all that. Yeah. Arsenal, I'm not so sure, but you don't know if funny yeah. things have happened. But so I suppose he's at that stage of career where he wants to be playing every week now at this stage. Yeah, yeah. That is the thing, though. What would you be advising, Stephen? So, like, is it you get a good move, a long contract here, a three year deal, uh, where yeah. you're going to be a squad player, or this other club will offer you a year or two and they're only mid table, but you'll, you'll play every week? I think, I think it'll be a case of weighing up the situation, you weigh up. Playing every week, you weigh up the financial package, is it too good to turn down? Your family, he's got kids. You weigh up everything and then you go, right, you play on your motion. What are you going to be happy with in, in five, six years' time if you're going to go here? Like he couldn't turn down Atletico Madrid. No, you no can't. He wasn't playing regular enough for Spurs to be to be even saying anything about Atletico. So yeah. you have to go... You'd rather not get a game at Atletico Madrid than not get a game at Spurs. Having <laughs> <laughs> said that, he's, he's over there, he's away from his family, he's... he's it's a lonely place sometimes even yeah. though we're chatting freely about him he's over there just social media resting in the hotel or whatever he's been but I think he'll have some offers that'll come in that should be appealing to him well you imagine he'd be a very attractive uh, um, proposition as a free agent to even like the promoted clubs coming up the likes of uh, Luton um, who, who else can promote uh, Burnley, Burnley Burnley and Sheffield United Sheffield United yeah you'd imagine like he'd be an attractive option to any of those well, clubs well like he's an experienced Premier League player and mm. as I say that he's best like those two seasons I'm looking here like he'd like four goals in each of the seasons seven assists in one season like these are all metrics that will help him and twice like it didn't go that well at Spurs but he's playing like as he was playing as a fullback under as Jose, an orthodox fullback yeah. and it didn't work out as well for him and he had got a great period where he was absolutely flying under Conte until they come up against Villa Kulikeski was I'm pronouncing that wrong I know I am but he was key for him <laughs> but we know who you're talking about he come inside a lot yeah. and allowed Matt to go outside or he would go outside Matt would go inside they were really two intelligent footballers Matt needs someone he's not one of them that's going to go skipping past someone like Ryan Giggs he needs football football intelligence to play with yeah. well, I think he can play as a good fullback yeah. I just think he hasn't yeah. and it's made him look like he's a specialised but I think he's a just as good a fullback and he's a wingback yeah. right manager right place he's been unlucky as well I remember watching that film match and I think the sports won 4-0 and they were flying on a Conte 
and Steven Gerrard's Villa were quite a rough enough team mm-hmm. and he got absolutely levelled right. and that injury then knocked him back he comes back the World Cup's on there's a break he does, he's not getting in then he's six months left on his deal so he, he hasn't done anything wrong he's, yeah. had, a, he's had a great career but um, I don't know maybe maybe Arsenal as a squad player would be a good move <laughs> and don't no, forget he, he won't be shy of a, abroad as well he'll have offers to go abroad when you're out of contract and transfer mart where clubs will go and look at players out of contract it'll come full back International. He has a he has a great game on Friday. Watch him signing for Olympiacos on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> did you could you see him reach that potential when you first came across him? Uh, yeah, because yeah, he was always an intelligent fullback. Yeah, uh, Kev Foley was he would have been ahead of him at the time. Very similar in terms of never dived in, never actually wanted to tackle you. John O'Shea played similar, where he always stood on his feet. He waited for you to yeah. give him the ball almost. And I think Matt's always been intelligent football. I think he had to go with the he had to have a bit of rough when he when he came. He was. He was a young lad learning his trade at Wolves. That was took time, but again, I would say he never got distracted. He kept being himself. Never really went out often. Never did just yeah, behave himself. Yeah, a very focused individual. Focused but laid back. So you right. have to understand them. Like if you were sitting here, you'd be going, "Come on, Doc, give us a bit more." Like yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. gives a bit more energy. No, it's not his style. Um, another player we want to throw into the mix there, Robbie. One of your favourite players, Stephen. You always have a nice opinion on James Madison. Is up for grabs. Yeah. James Madison. You've a, you, you've a, yeah. I know you. You know he's what? What is your opinion? I know, to, I'm going to surmise or paraphrase Stephen and go. Um, great player, but could be even better if he if he applied himself a bit more. Yeah, without a doubt, he's got so much ability, mm. loads of ability. Just where what level he gets to, he he has ability that I've seen with Ireland. He's way above everyone else I've played with with Ireland. And in Premier League teams, yeah. but you got to go and do it, and you yeah. got to prove it. His stats are not good enough. Quality. I'll be watching this one. He'd be like tearing his hair up, but his stats are not good enough to get to the top four. Either of mine. That's why I didn't play. Well, you know I mean, I'm not, yeah. sitting, I'm, not, I'm not sitting there going, "Ah, oh, he's he's an unbelievable player. He's really talented. Just got to get to the level that he can get to." Does that level of talent hold some players back in a way because like it's too easy for him, and he's not going to be willing to work on his game. Yeah, someone on a can, lower level. It can might. come. Like I, I remember when I went to Coventry and he was practicing free kicks every day, like really looking to improve his game. And then he got a move to Norwich. I just didn't really do as much. I thought, come on, yeah, James, yeah, like, this. Yeah. keep going, keep practicing. Yeah, yeah. Not, things are not going right for us, but keep going and keep playing. And it always stuck with me. Having said that, could I see the career he's had? No, but. Am I surprised? No either, because his ability was frightening. Yeah, I think it's Newcastle for him anyway. It seems it looks hey, that way. It's right? a top four club, you know. There's yeah. Champions League football, yeah. And, yeah. And, but it's not. They're they're new to the top four. It's not like going to Man United okay. where you expect them to be an absolute elite level player, getting twenty goals, ten assists a season. Newcastle still kind of find their feet at that level, and it'll be a tougher season next year. So it's probably a perfect move for him. And the only other club mentioned was Spurs. Spurs are looking at him. Who are you going to go to there? Like. Yeah, of course. You know, are you going to go to... You say that, right? But he's the type of guy, ooh, London, bright lights. Okay, yeah. Might quite like it. Like. Yeah. Do you he get that a lot where lads is like, I'm oh, not going to go They might look at the location and go, oh, I'm going to go live in London for a while. Or, and it's wrong. You can make the best football decision. But Spurs is a massive club. Let me, uh, is that a big issue, Stephen? Like location? Like, like as you say, like I, the northeast. I don't think it is for the Irish lads or the British lads. I think they'll go with what's best football-wise for them. But with definitely the foreign boys, they like to think they live in London, they can, they think it's the bright lights, you know what I mean? But they don't realise that you can't eat in a nice restaurant every night, you can't, otherwise you won't be a footballer. So. I'm sure there's one or two nice restaurants in Sunderland and Newcastle, isn't there? <laughs> I'd say there is, It yeah. has to be. Or maybe there's a gap in the market. <laughs> Hello, there's, a, there's a mad no. night out in Newcastle, I know that, we had a Christmas can't party. Wait for, <laughs> can't wait for a house of restaurant next week when uh, <laughs> <laughs> we announce our new business in Newcastle. <laughs> that was Stephen Hunt. 
Now, we couldn't finish the show without a bit of League of Ireland, and who better to talk to than former Dublin GAA star, Philly McMahon. See what we did there? No, but seriously, Philly has been involved in the League of Ireland with several clubs, including, you guessed it, the mighty, my beloved, the best club in the world, Bowes. We had a great chat with Philly about the standard of the League of Ireland, the training, the fitness levels of the players versus GAA players. And we hop in here where Philly is explaining what makes the League of Ireland unique. The League of Ireland I'm a fan of. Yeah. I, they've got something. I, I always think of it, and some people might find this offensive. I think League of Ireland is like Ballymun. Right, okay. Ballymun have been neglected by government policy for years. <laughs> League of Ireland has been neglected by by the FEI for years. Yeah. You know, and the problem every, child. <laughs> and everybody has in the League of Ireland, they'll they'll have rivalry and it's like Bowers Bowers Rovers game the other night. Wow. But like uh for me it's no matter where you go around the country, you will notice notice the difference between a League of Ireland fan and someone that's maybe a fan of English football or a fan maybe of uh, the international stage uh, and maybe just crossover. What's there. the difference? Really? But I just I, they just love League yeah. of Ireland. So passionate. Regardless of the club. Now, yeah. I say that, you know, slightly. But no, no, a, no, I know exactly where you're coming from. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've been, you know, I've been I've been slated by uh, opposition fans for my allegiances to, yeah. to, to Bowles, but at the end of the day, I have a hell of a lot more respect for a fan of another club than I would say a fan of Liverpool or Man United kind of thing. Like, you know, someone yeah. who supports the League of Ireland I'm a fan of them, basically. But you always you hear know? that, Eric. You yeah. always hear, I'm a League of Ireland fan. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And and then within that, you have your club. But that's the difference. You never really see... You, like, I'm a fan of GEA. I am. Yeah, of course. But yeah. you never really have that, I'm a fan of GEA. Like, you would have, I'm a League of Ireland fan. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's special about the league. I think it's... You've got clubs that are really up against it. Like... I love what Draw to do. Yeah. I really do. Like they, they fight against it every time. I love what UCD do. You know, um And they still still keep coming back and from they still keep off. fighting yeah. and fighting yeah. Finn Harps, yeah. you know. Uh I think even Galway and Waterford coming up next year, if they they're looking like they're gonna be yeah. promoted, I think those two are like uh, like I got like I know the playoffs, but I think Yeah, it um, gives it gives the league a bit it, more of it. Dynamically it spreads yeah. out a little bit more, you know. So I am a fan of the league, you know. I don't really have particular allegiance to one club. But in, I, in terms of football and getting back into it, Philly, would you consider a move abroad around like <laughs> I was asked to go over to uh, two clubs in England actually at one point, but it wasn't actually for performance coaching. It was for um, strength and conditioning. But I, I have a young kid now, like, yeah. you know, I've learned and he's six, 16 months old. So, but, you know, I've always been from a very young age that person that I've looked on with my club and with Dublin and said, I'm going to help them. You know, right. so if anybody's listening from Everton, <laughs> <laughs> let me know. I'll be over straight away. But what if, what if Robbie Kane gives you a show for to join him in Maccabi Tel Aviv? Do you know what? I spoke to Robbie uh, a little bit about culture, really, uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Keith Andrews linked us in, yeah. and uh, Robbie was with, working with Mick McCarthy at the time, and I showed showed him a couple of frameworks, and Robbie was, yeah, he was. He was liking it, but he was kind of more wanting to do it himself. Right, you know? right, so, right. Uh, but he, he said, look, when I go into management, I'll give you a shout about it. So I'm still waiting for the phone to ring. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just on the whole um, GEA football thing, uh, Philly, like, you know, one of the most high-profile high switches from GEA to football. Obviously, you had the historical one of Kevin Moran, mm. Dubs legend. Most playing. Manchester United, yeah. like, incredible. Yeah, incredible but, uh, Jimmy Guinness. Jimmy Guinness, yeah. You know, Donegal, uh, he, he reinvented Donegal basically and the, that, that whatever you want to call it, puke football or whatever you want to call it, I don't care. <laughs> Mass defence, let's yeah, call it. Sorry, blanket defence, a very, very well structured defence. <laughs> L- low block. Football. Low block, there you go. A football yeah. team, football That's players, what it is. A low it block. Is. Just that, get everyone behind the ball. That, that's what he done. I, I think Jim's connection with football 
uh, crossed over into GAA and he created a low block. Right, that's okay. what he did. Yeah, and uh, every every team now you see doing it, which is it's 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 challenged the game. It's challenged players and management to get to a level of tactics that it wasn't at. Uh, it's 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 I suppose it's you look at the spectators' point of view. It doesn't look really good. It's mm-hmm. not end to end. It's not linear. Um, as it was in generations, you know, which just kick the ball out, catch it, kick the ball in, score, you know. So I think the rule changes they're creating now is trying to you know, peel that back. Yeah. It should be down to the players. But yeah, yeah Jim, Jim McGuinness, in fairness to him, he brought the, a different game to the sport. And it's you see, you go down to any club game now in Dublin, you'll see people getting behind the ball. He's obviously a bit deep thinker of the game and, you know, inevitably like landed a role at Celtic. Mm. Um, He's he's a and like look do you look at was was there, would you did you sense even like is there is there still that kind of level of snobbery not snobbery what's the word you know in the, within the GAA of players doing that daring to go and play or not get really involved from the in GAA, football no not from from the GAA there's a cultural um, acceptance that uh, if you want to bring something into the game or the sport that you have to go outside it as well like so I, I think of it like I, I love the analogy I heard from a performance coach before. Uh, squeeze the orange which basically means when you've got uh, if you've squeezed the orange within the, the group the knowledge within the group uh, and the expertise within the group but then you have to go from the outside you have to look from the, bring in information from the outside and that's what Keith and Trevor done they felt we don't have the skills to do that stuff let's bring somebody in an awful lot of coaches I would say in soccer in this country don't really look at that because why they've spent so much time in their education and their badges and their money and the badges and stuff like that and they've been passed down habits from years like for example I'll give you an example creating a safe psychological space is one of the most important things I tried to do with Bowles because there had been uh, I'd, I'd spoke to players off different clubs over, over the years and there's this culture or narrative that when someone makes a mistake or someone drops a runner or, or the team play bad they hammer them hammer them individually hammer them collectively and I wanted to challenge that because that doesn't work that creates more fear and when you fear you can't play with flow so for me so don't uh, be afraid to make mistakes don't be afraid to make mistakes <coughs> once you you can um once you can speak about the the error and learn from it, well then that's what we want. You want you want players to say, I dropped the runner there and this is what I was thinking right before the runner. Like when I went in, we had an issue with conceding like, which happened in 2022 yeah. as well, and an issue with uh, conceding from set pieces. So we started, to t- we started to question, well what are you thinking in that moment? Okay. Right. Some of the centre halves and the, the full backs were thinking, don't concede it. Don't drop a runner. Right, which is the bad? It's the bad. It's it's negative self talk. Don't think of the pink elephant. You just did. Right. Don't think of conceding a goal. You just conceded. So it's not very measurable scientifically yeah. or psychologically. But instead, we started to change the the language they were using. So get across them. Get across them. Win the header. You know. Um, so positive. One v one. Show them down the line. Whatever that is. Um, yeah. Information that your your actual conscious mind is going to then register into your subconscious mind, which is what where your habits are. Right. Where your actions are. Your conscious mind is your doing, your subconscious mind is, or sorry, your conscious mind is your knowledge and your subconscious mind is your actions, your habits. So we wanted to create good habits over and over and over again. And management have those habits, you know, mm-hmm. they'll go in and slaughter their players and create an unsafe psychological space, which creates clicks, creates the voids, you know, players want to move on to clubs, easy to make a decision when you have a player that's, that's har- a manager, sorry, that's harping on every time you make a mistake, you know. Yeah. Um, like... Do you think maybe you, know, you mentioned there because the 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 
lads in the coaching badges and it's passed down to them and it's ingrained. It's uh, it's institutional almost, like the way coaching is coached in Ireland. Do you think there's room for um, development within the coaching side of FAI badges to include what you're talking about, the mentality side of things as well? Because it sounds like they're they're probably not getting that side of the game as well. It's very harsh for me to say, yes, mm-hmm. they need more support on that because I don't, I've never done my badges I yeah. don't know what's going I know, I know from speaking to coaches what goes on um, Does it appeal to you Philly do badges no? to do badges yeah. I got asked that I want to do them uh, no interest no, okay. no. I, th- I think when you do badges there's a benefit to them Yeah. there's a standardisation to it but also you can be pigeonholed into having blind spots Right. so for example all the coaches do their badges in the league uh, they'll get you know they'll have their own way of doing things also but they're kind of this is the way you train lads, this is the way you do things. And it stunts innovation to an extent, just to an extent, because every manager in the league will have their own ways. But you, you can look at managers, you can look at Damien Duff, Stephen Bradley, Keith Long, Trevor, and you can, jo- you can, you can, like, I'll give you an example. Uh, we can, we, the information I can give players is, how do we know when we're doing things right? First of all, performance KPIs, the result, the scoreline, all that sort of stuff. But we can also look at the energy of the team the energy of the, your bench is crucial. So we used to do, uh, we used to look at things, let, let, let's look at it this way. I know I'm probably going loads of different directions here. Now this is great for you. It's the way it works in my head, but... Um, I'd rather I'd rather, I'd rather listen to you saying this than say, Eric, give me 10 boopies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But the, like, what we would have done was we would have challenged the status quo. We would have challenged the standards of the culture of, of what Bose would have experienced to the extent of challenging the officials. So what I mean by that is we would have said to the to the players at a certain point, do not talk to them to the officials. The only person that talks to the officials is the captain. Okay. All right? Okay. Um and we don't want to they've enough they've they've had enough job. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Don't get on their backs. Get on the ball, move the ball. That's that, that's our game. We want to play a game where we angle, we move the ball fast, we shift their defence, and we fatigue them. And eventually, we 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 create uh, opportunities to get shots with goals. Um, and I remember talking to one of the uh, the linesmen uh, walking over across the pitch uh, before the game, and I said to him, "Do you notice that um, any of the players aren't really engaging with you? Um, you know." give him lip or give him and he says do you know what I actually do I, I actually do uh, I, I've noticed that the last couple of games I haven't I haven't felt as intimidated right right okay. so so when I intimidate you generally you run or you yeah. fight back yeah okay fight or flight and that's, w- yeah. and that's where you see a little bit of bias in decision making in, 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 in sports um, that didn't even work though there were still situations where we were identifying uh, officials mistakes like obvious mistakes, and we were saying, I'm telling, we're telling these lads to to be professional in in their approach to officials, but it's not impacting their decisions on right. the officials. So that's one area that can be looked at. Yeah, you know, um, the coaching badges thing. It's just another layer, probably, that they need to look at um, their pedagogy of how they actually coach. I know they probably do some sort of you know um, micro teaching where somebody will observe somebody, but. I think there's a level of that that's not going to be seen unless you're a manager. 
And that was the great Philly McMahon. And that is our final show of 2023. Really hope you enjoyed the show across the year. It's been an absolute pleasure bringing it to you over the past 12 months. And we really look forward to coming back in the new year. Hope you have a great Christmas and a happy new year. From all of us here in House of Football, have a good one. You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe.